Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Father God, we praise you and thank you for the worship today, for being able to encounter you, be in your presence, hear your word, your encouragements, your declarations. Uh, We receive everything that you've already done so far, and I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill my mouth, that you would fill our hearts, that you encounter us now, and um, we would leave different today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. I wanted to do something a little more colorful this time. I typically choose kind of a plain, you know, normal, generic blue, you know, PowerPoint. So I was all excited when I found this one. They've got some new templates out, and I was all excited. Um, I was preparing for today and was really drawn to Psalm 8, and I kind of want to let you know we're not going to get to Psalm 8 until about halfway through the message, but that's where we're going to land. So if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, go ahead and pull out your Bible, pull it up on your phone so you're ready. We will be working out of the Passion Translation and the NIV, okay? Um, But it starts off with an emphatic statement in Psalm 8.1. It says, Lord... Your name is so great and powerful. Can anybody say amen? Isn't his name good? Your name is so great and powerful. People everywhere see your splendor. I love that statement because it doesn't matter where a person is in their faith walk, if they love Jesus, if they don't love Jesus, if they're atheists, they're still going to see God's splendor and glory everywhere because it is indeed everywhere. Your glorious majesty streams from the heavens, filling the earth with the fame of your name. And I'm going to skip verse 2 because that comes up a little bit later in the sermon. And I want to go to verse 3 where it says, look at the splendor of your skies, your creative genius glowing in the heavens and that's really what jumped off the page for me was that word creative genius God is indeed a creative genius the psalm starts off with this high praise of who God is and how great his name is how great his power is and tells us that God is a creative genius We think about creative geniuses and we think about, you know, museums and uh, maybe software architects and people that have invented new things. Maybe you think of Tesla, right? Nikolai from Tesla. Who knows what you think of? But God himself is a creative genius. Absolutely amazing. So I started researching online and looking at all these different ways. I'm like, It's talking about the heavens, the splendor of the heavens. And I pulled up all these pictures, and I just marveled for a minute. Look at the color. Look at the beauty. Look at the different shapes. The Hubble Deep Field Telescope is an extremely long exposure of relatively an empty part of the sky. But it provides evidence that there are 125 billion galaxies, billion galaxies, And those are only the galaxies that are observable in the universe. They actually know that they can't see through the entire expanse 
of it and can see that it goes much further. But what they can see, they've confirmed there are 125 billion galaxies. Does that blow your mind? I kind of got excited about that. There's 200 trillion billion stars. That's 200 sextillion stars in the observable universe. That's nine zeros, two and nine zeros. That's awesome. And yet there's only one sun in the entire observable universe, 125 billion galaxies. 200 sectillion, 200 trillion billion stars, and there's only one sun and one inhabitable planet called Earth. You think God might love you? You think he might be excited about who you are? You think he might have Earth and you and your family and your situation on his mind? All of those galaxies, all of those stars, all of those planets, and there's only one sun and one Earth. Continuing to think and ponder on God's creative genius, I thought about the people groups. Did you know that there's 6,825 unreached people groups that still exist in the world today, untouched by the gospel? But if we want to think about God's creative genius, there are 13,000 to 24,000 people groups in this world. And a people group or an ethnos is defined as a tribe or a culture that's separate from another tribe or culture that has different perspectives and practices and ways that they dress and ways that they live in culture, oftentimes a different language that they speak. So that whole story about the Tower of Babel, God was not playing. He diversified. It was like a a supernatural explosion of separation, if you will. I love this too. So then I started thinking about the plant life. Okay, because I have a garden. Does anybody in the house have a garden? Anybody like to garden in the spring? I'm waiting for my crocus to pop up. It'll be another month or so, but I love it when that snow is blanketed over the yard and you start to see that tiny little crocus pop up out of the snow before spring hits. It's the very first bulb to bloom in a winter state. There are 60, that top left corner there, that's called a succulent plant, okay? Cammie loves succulents. She has several at her house and in her front of her garden, and that's my daughter in the front row here, one of my daughters. And there are 60 succulent families. 60 families, that's just families. There's 10,000 varieties of just succulents. How many of y'all would want to sit down and draw 60 different types of something and then draw 10,000 varieties within those 60 different types? You, how long that would take? It's God's creative genius. He never does anything just one way. He never does cookie-cutter creativity. He made you and he made me and he made you the way he made you for a reason. You are part of God's creative genius. And that's what we're going to talk about today. There's 90 different families of lilies, all different colors. The lilies are the ones in the tall, long picture on the right-hand side. There are 150 rose families. That's just the family. That's not even the number of variety of roses that exist. Blows my mind. 
And then I started thinking about the human body, okay? And this is how God was kind of walking me through this as I put the study together and the Holy Spirit was leading and guiding me. He said, I want you to think about the human body. You literally are a walking miracle. Did you know that you have 206 different bones in your body? And that the bones provide the structure for our bodies to move on. If we didn't have a skeletal structure, we'd be little flopping wormy-like things rolling around. I don't know if we'd even be able to do that. Probably if we still had our muscle, right? Did you know that a healthy adult has 35 trillion blood cells? Red blood cells. That doesn't include your white blood cells. 35 trillion. Look how beautiful they are. They look like little vitamins floating around in our veins. I mean, think of the genius of God, the creative genius of God to put our bodies together like this. All throughout our bodies, there's this vein system where these red blood cells and white blood cells, which aren't even shown here, travel and traverse through our body and collect the nutrients that our body needs and the oxygen that our body needs, and it releases it on time in perfect order so that we can walk and talk and live and breathe and exercise and have families. It's creative genius. Our body creates these cells as a rate, at a rate of 2.4 million per second. So if anybody tells you you're lazy, you say, no, I'm not. Did you know my body creates red blood cells at 2.4 million per second? I'm a working machine. I'm a well-oiled machine. Come on, somebody. I'm just throwing that out there. You can get some good confessions over your life. A second. And they have, each of them has a lifespan of about 120 days. So if there's something wrong with your body, I was reading this and I thought, if there's something wrong with your body, don't you worry about it. 120 days, all your cells are new anyway. They're all new. You should be just fine. You just wait for them to work their way out, okay? You have 600 muscles in the body. God could have just done one big muscle. But instead, he decided to give you 600 different muscles so that you could do cool things like, I don't know, grab a knife and chop up celery real fast, right? So you could run, so you could lunge, so you can climb, so you can dance like Carrington was doing so beautifully earlier today. I was getting ready, and I just started staring at my hand. Do you ever, were you little, did you guys ever do this when you were little? You kind of realized, you know, your hands. Do you remember? I was probably four or five, and I just kept looking at my hand and the way that it bent and thinking about all the bones and the sinews and the skin and the feeling, the nerves. And I just thought, it's amazing. Did you know that each and every day, the average heart beats, which means it expands and it contracts 100,000 times. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I knew why I was tired. There's a reason I was tired. Right? But 100,000 times, no, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Perfectly, beautifully, creatively, in a genius manner put together. For such a time as this. Let's go to the next slide here. I'm going to take you back to uh, the first mention. This, this word in the psalm, the name of God that it's referring to, that when it says your name is great, it's Elohim. 
okay? The word Elohim is plural in the Hebrew of El or possibly Eloah, meaning mighty and powerful one. But it means so much more than that. The plural ending doesn't mean gods, as in there's plural gods. We're familiar with the teaching and the theology on the Trinity, right? Three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they're one. It's sort of like if you think of water, okay? It's like the ice, the water, and the steam, but they're all the same. Substance, the same God. It's one God. Its first mention, or the first mention of this particular name is in Genesis 1-1, and I want to read this. It says, in the beginning, God, which in the Hebrew is Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And I never thought about this before today, but he actually created the heavens and the earth before he separated the light from the darkness and did all that. It was two separate things. So he creates this great big universe that we just talked about with 125 trillion galaxies, with the 200 sextillion stars, and then the earth. It doesn't say planets. It doesn't say sun. In fact, in the next verse, it tells us that he created light and darkness. But the earth and you and his people and his family that he was going to create was so in his heart that was one of the first things he made was your home. I never thought about that before. In the traditional Jewish view, Elohim is the name of God as creator and judge. And that's because when they read Genesis 1 through 2 and 4a, and I'm just going to read you 1 through 4, it says this. In the beginning, God created, okay, Elohim created, so he's the creator, the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. Yes, darling. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. The moment God created light and separated the light from the darkness, he showed himself as judge. He created a thing and said, this is good. There was another time in Genesis when he said something was good. And when he said something wasn't good, I'm just going to say it, guys. He said it was not good for men to be alone. <laughs> right? So he created woman. Right? But together, this is good. This is good. He says it over and over and over again, and it was good. And so there's this idea in the Hebrew culture that God is both a creator, this creative genius, and also judge. And every time he's creating something, he's actually distinguishing and separating and bringing separation. Because you cannot create without bringing separation. If you think about a blank canvas, Tony, here's a street artist, okay? You think about a blank canvas or a brick wall. You create a separation when you begin to put the spray paint in place, when you begin to choose different colors. 
Everything we create either reflects his goodness or it stands in that area or realm of being separated from light, from goodness, and being a part of the darkness. Everything speaks. Colors speak. Images speak. Not verbally, but colors have literal vibrations. Did you know that? They emanate something. They communicate something. They shift an atmosphere. Have you ever gone through a city? Um, this is very common down in South America where they've got the murals painted all over the sides and you see a beautiful woman and a beautiful tree and all these colors and you're inspired and your spirit is touched. It speaks to you. Someone was working in partnership with Holy Spirit whether they knew it or not and was inspired to create and share with the world an image that would touch someone's heart. Creativity shifts atmospheres. Creativity inspires hope. It can also inspire fear, right? Like you've ever seen a horror movie? <laughs> okay, somebody had to think that through. <laughs> somebody was focusing on some things that, hey, how, what would be the scariest way to twist this plot and to turn it, right? And so this idea of God as creator and judge applies to us as well. Okay. I'm going to skip that one. Kind of, yep, that's all right. I know. That's all right. Aren't these colors fun? God is very concerned about earth and his people, his creator. It's not an accident that he created the heavens and the earth first. He was very concerned about making a home for you, making a home for us, making a home for mankind. Out of all the planets in the universe, it's the only planet at this point that's inhabitable. Did you know that in the universe, 90% of the universe is made up of hydrogen? It's the first element on the periodic table. It's very light gas. And Earth is the only planet that has oxygen that supports any type of life form, any species, any plant life. And it is located at the exact location in relation to the sun and the moon so that it will not burn up if it were moved a few degrees toward the sun. And it would not freeze and everything would die if it were moved a few degrees away. Creative genius. I'm telling you this. You might be thinking, what? Okay, that's pretty cool. Thank you for sharing that. Good night. Like, I'm ready. Why are we talking about this today? I'll tell you why we're talking about this. Because the scripture says in Genesis 1.27, God created mankind or humanity in the Hebrew in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You are made in the very image of the creator, of Elohim. You are made in the image of Father God, who is both creator and judge. And as we go forward through this teaching, we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. Because everywhere you go, you're creating something. 
You're bringing an atmosphere with you. Every time you open your mouth, like Father God did in Genesis, you're creating something. You're decreeing and declaring either with the light that God said is good or with the darkness that he said was empty and void. And you have power and authority because he says you are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We've been doing a study on Holy Spirit the last six to eight months, and I have just absolutely loved it. It's like I knew some of these things, you know, like we were talking this morning about the fact, well, God is omnipotent, omniscient, um, omnipresent, right? He's everywhere all the time. He knows all things. Um, Omnibenevolent, right? He's all loving. But I never really thought of that. I knew that. I thought I understood that in regards to the Father. I understood that in regards to the Son. But I never really thought about it in regards to Holy Spirit. But He is. And you and I are made in the image of God, in the image of the Creator Judge. And that means omnipresent, omnibenevolent omniscient, all-knowing, all-loving, everywhere-present God that is Holy Spirit is in you. And he wants to partner with you to create, to shift, to change, to love, to bring order, and to judge. And we'll talk about that a little bit because there's some contrary verses in the scripture. So this says, let me switch my thing here. God is judge. We got that. Creator and judge. Got that. Make sure I got the right one. The word separated, when we talk about God being judged right here in Genesis, it comes from the Hebrew word badal which means divided, okay? It means to separate, to make a distinction, to set apart. How many of y'all been set apart? To single something out. It means to petition or partition something off, to put up a boundary. Come on, somebody. That's a judgment. When we put up boundaries, that's a judgment. We're operating in judgment in regards to things. We're distinguishing of spirits. We're making a decision. We're separating some things out so that we can walk in the light as he is in the light. We're made in the image of God in the sense that as judges and prophets in the Old Testament, they used to literally be called judges, right? Deborah was a judge. That's right. And we've gotten kind of religious about this because everybody says, likes to say, oh, don't judge, lest ye be judged. Judge not for when you condemn another. You, when, you, when you judge another, you condemn yourself because you do the very same things. That particular scripture is, in the con- is true, but it's in the context of judging new believers. That whole section is really talking about new believers coming into the church who were struggling with sexual sin and homosexuality and different things. And really what Paul was saying is don't be judging them. You all were sinners at one point too. I need you to come alongside them. I need you to love them. I need you to disciple them. I need you to correct them. I need you to judge in the sense of discerning what is of God and what is not of God and loving them enough to speak the truth and love. I was in a meeting the other day and 
we were straightening out a specific situation and a very passionate, dearly beloved friend of mine is very, very justice-oriented and her, she got all riled up and she said, I don't care what the truth is, I just want this justice resolved. And I didn't say anything at the time because Holy Spirit wouldn't allow me to, but what Holy Spirit said to me is, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, but the context of that verse says that mercy and truth go before him. Mercy and truth go before him. So we should always be merciful in every situation. But if we're merciful without being truthful, then the iniquity of the heart remains and the person doesn't get whole, healed, or delivered because you, they've never been told the truth. That's the kind of judge that we're called to be, to speak the truth in love. By mercy and truth, the iniquities of the hearts are purged. So when, like Paul was saying, you know, people are coming into the church and we've got some newbies and they're trying to figure it out, don't judge them if they're not there. Don't make them feel bad. Don't, in other words, don't condemn them. But also, don't not say anything and be like, that's unloving and capitulate and just let them meander down the, the path of, to death because you're thinking you're being judgmental if you speak the truth in love because that's not love. Love says, hey, sweetheart, how you doing? I'm seeing and I'm hearing and, you know, I'm concerned and... Is everything okay? This is what the word says. I totally hear what you're saying. I totally hear that this is a struggle. Let me tell you how God helped me to overcome that, right? And we come alongside and we help him, right? And that's the creator judge. God's judgment is always for good because God is always good. Amen? He doesn't judge us to, to bring harm. He judges us to bring us closer to him. That's always his heart, always his goal. First Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6.1 says, If any one of you has a dispute against one another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? What? What? Do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Come on, somebody. Every time you're positioned in a place of authority and influence, do you know that you're actually doing exactly what God did on a day of creation. And you are making decisions and policies about the people that are underneath your leadership and or the people that your policies will influence and you're separating what is good from what is not. You're judging. You're setting things in place. You're saying, yes, this is a direction we're going to move. No, this is not a direction we're going to move. And this is why. Your why should always be because it doesn't align with God's heart and God's truth. It doesn't exalt righteousness. It doesn't help people come in to a place of safety and security and significance, right? And then it goes on and it says, do you not know that we will judge the angels? What? Are you serious? Like, do you, do you ever think about that? What does that mean? Do we got some angels that are supposed to be our guardian angels that are goofing off, and when we decree the word of God, they're not doing what they're supposed to do? I don't know what that means. Like, I kind of get the giggles when I think about that sometimes. I'm like, Lord, really? We're going to judge the angels? Is he talking only about the fallen angels? I don't know. But think about that. You better get ready because that's what God said. You are going to judge the angels. 
And in some ways, it may even just be referring to the fact that principalities and powers and wickedness are in high places and that we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And everywhere the sole of our foot treads, that he will give us success. He will give us that land, literally. And we, when we do agree with him and we creatively speak and decree a thing according to his word, according to the leading of the Holy Spirit who is in us and we're participating with God as creator, he is judging through us because we have agreed with him. And he's separating. He's saying, no, the Lord rebuke you. I bind that spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Not because our flesh wants to bind it and we think we know what we're doing, but because we've heard a rhema word. And we say what he tells us to say and we do what he tells us to do. Mm-mm-mm. That gets me excited. Not because I'm excited about judging, but because there's an authority. I'm not helpless. You're not helpless. We're not powerless. We've been given the power through Holy Spirit to deal with those things. What an honor. Do you think about that? Ooh, I think what an honor. I love this in Psalm 8. It was so good. So he's creator. God is both creator and judge, and you are made in his image. God is good, and God is love. So what he creates and distinguishes between two things, it is good and it is loving. It is always good, and it is always loving. And we are made in his image. And when you and I create with God as led by the Holy Spirit, he creates and judges through us. Turn to your neighbor and say, hi, judge. Say, hey, creative genius. That's right. Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. The creative genius, the created, the heavens and the earth, the body parts, the, the blood cells, all of that lives on the inside of you. So whatever you are facing, whatever problem you have, you have the creative genius of God on the inside of you and any solution you could possibly need. He is the God of the impossible. He is waiting for a situation big enough and bad enough and scary enough and intimidating enough and seemingly impossible enough to say, sweetheart, have I got an idea for you. And the beautiful part about it is it doesn't require any strength of our own. We just lean on the everlasting arms. We rest in the reality that it is finished. We take on his yoke, and we simply do exactly what Jesus did. Whatever Holy Spirit shows us to do, we do what he shows us to do. Whatever Holy Spirit tells us to say, we decree and pray and say what he tells us to say. It's literally that simple. I can't tell you the number of times I've been in situations board meetings, leaders meetings, where someone is wounded and, and responding or reacting out of the wound and it's awkward and the t you've ever been in a meeting like that or a gathering like that and the tension hits the room. Awkward. And everybody's looking around like, who's gonna say something, you know? And they're thinking, I'm not gonna say something. Are you gonna say something, right? But in those moments, because we have Elohim, Holy Spirit, creator, judge on the inside of us. We can reset the atmosphere as a judge, as a daughter, as a king, as a priest, as a son. By simply listening. Holy Spirit, what is this? First thing we have to do is find out what we're dealing with. What is this? Right? 
And maybe Holy Spirit says, well, this person's afraid. You're going to handle that differently than if Holy Spirit says, oh, that's a Jezebel spirit. Right? But no matter what he tells you, whatever intel he gives you, you still, we still need to say, what do you want me to do about it? Sometimes he's going to say, keep your mouth, what? Shut. Sometimes he will. And for those of us that that's, our gift is in our mouth, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, that's a hard one. That spirit of self-control would just keep pulling on that, right? And sometimes he's going to say, I want you to just start praying. I want you to pray for them. And it's funny, when I do that and God has me start praying, a lot of times the person out of their own mouth will say the very thing that's going on. I don't even have to do anything, right? And they have a good heart and a sincere heart, and usually they just had a really bad week, a really bad month, a really bad year, and God's working them through whatever it is they're processing, and they have an opportunity to just be accepted and loved. And sometimes they'll say, you know, I want you to contextualize what's going on here because you know something about that individual that nobody else in the room knows. And I want you to bring it full circle moment. Kind of explain what's going on behind the scenes so that person can still be real and be raw and be vulnerable and be where they're at. But I want everyone else in the room to understand it so they're not condemning them for making this a tense moment. I have a friend, uh, Don Frazier, I've been working with over in Detroit. He's a prophet down there and absolutely precious. He said... You know, I'm waiting for the day when the family of God gets comfortable havering, okay? And that's a Jewish term for having a conversation. Have you ever seen those typical, those movies where they, they show the typical <laughs> Jewish believer and they're like, what are you talking about? Are you trying to kill me? Are you trying to pull me in my grave before I die? Like, I love you. And they fight, 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 but they're passionate, right? And in American culture, in some ways, we've said it's not good to be passionate. Emotion is bad. But it's not. We don't have to be afraid of emotion. We don't have to be afraid of truth. We don't have to be afraid of processing our emotions. God's a creative genius, and he made you with emotions. And it's okay to express them. And he said to me, when are we going to get to the point where we can just have real conversations and moments and then have the full circle moment in that moment without walking away and say, Oh, sweetheart, I see where you're coming from, right? Come here. I'm so sorry, Mom. I didn't make you to feel mean to make you feel like I was never going to have kids and you were never going to have grandkids and I was never going to get married. I love you so much. Come here. Let me give you a hug. I'm sorry I gave you a total nervous breakdown just now almost. But you can trust God because I'm praying for a husband and he's on his way or whatever, right? Okay? And it's okay. It's okay and it's good. I want to talk, uh, well, let's... Let's look at this verse real quick, okay? So get, go ahead and open up your um, Psalm 8 in the Passion Translation. I've got a little nice little ribbon in here. That'll be great. I'm going to read you the entire thing, and then we're going to kind of go through it verse by verse, and I'm going to just walk you through what Father God walked me through. It blew my mind. Tell me when you're there. You ready? I love this heading. It says, for the pure and shining one. Come on, somebody. We're talking about God's creative genius and separating light from darkness. And David plays this to the tune of the pure and shining one. Psalm 8. Lord, your name is great and powerful. 
People everywhere see your splendor. There's not a single place you can go in the world where you do not see the splendor of God, whether that's in a tree or in a mountain, whether that's in the stars or in the sun or in the cloud or in the moon or in the children or in a small babe, in the process of being birthed, whether that's in an animal, in the kindness of a dog to a man or to a woman or to a person, whether that's feeding pigeons on the park bench. God's Creative genius and splendor and majesty can be seen anywhere we go. It goes on and it says, your glorious majesty streams from the heavens, filling the earth with the fame of your name. There's, if you're not familiar with this, you can look this up on the internet. It's called Everything is Spiritual. There's a book and there's videos. It is absolutely inspiring to watch it. The guy's sharing one of the stories in there, and he talks about the fact, did you know that the stars, you know how it says that the stars shall praise your name? The sun and the stars and the heavens praise your name. Did you know that stars actually release a rhythm? They can hear it now. So they can send these things out that catch the sound of it. And he played the sound of one of these stars, and it was this beautiful drum beat. Do, 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 do. And I was like, whoa. And then he added some of the other sounds. He added the whale. It says, all creation praises his name. And then he added some whale sounds. It was like, woo, do, do, do. And he layered them up. And he made this gorgeous song just out of the sounds of nature. The heavens laying down the beat. The whales releasing their song. The songbirds singing their sweet tune in the morning. The wind rustling through the leaves. It was absolutely awe-inspiring. Rocked my world. I would highly encourage you to listen to it. and Go check it out. Your glorious majesty streams from the heavens, filling the earth with the fame of your name. And this is the part that really jumped off the page in, in addition to the creative genius piece. It said, you have built a stronghold by the songs of babies. Come on, somebody. He's talking about me and you, by the way. Strength rises up with the chorus of singing children, children of God. This kind of praise has the power to shut Satan's mouth. Ooh. Childlike worship will silence the madness of those who oppose you. And I thought immediately of what we do here during worship, the prophetic worship, childlike worship. We're just here to be with our father. We're just here to listen. I thought about throne room. We're just here to play what he wants us to play and to sing what he wants us to sing and to say and decree and pray what he wants us to pray. And when we go at it from a childlike perspective and when we want to dance, we dance. And when we want to flag, we flag. And when we feel led to release something, we release something. When we feel led to a join in with the singing, we join in with the singing. When there's liberty and freedom to be just a child of God and come to that throne room with the innocent heart of a child seeking their father, the scripture tells us it shuts Satan's mouth and it silences the madness in the world of those who oppose us. So it brings judgment. Come on. I was like, hey. I, it made me want to sing for like 48 hours. Because there's some mouths that need shutting, amen? <laughs> I don't know about you. Maybe you're not where I'm at. But I, need to, I have some mouths that need shutting. 
Yeah. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean that in a mean way. I don't mean that in a rude way. But because we're made in the image of God, when those mouths are open, they're creating circumstances and bitterness and roots of bitterness that grow up and defile many. And he says, when you praise him in a childlike way, it shuts Satan's mouth and it silences the madness of those who oppose you. Daughter of God, son of God, king of God, priest of God. You want the attacks to stop? Get into childlike worship. Come with that heart of innocence and purity before the Father and unveil your face and tell him what's going on and just let him love on you. You want to cry, cry. You want to dance, dance. You want to flag, flag. You want to paint, paint. You want to release a word, release a word. You got to sit and you can't move because you're just so worn out. It's okay, but you come as a child. Come in that place of identity, knowing who you are and how loved you are and whose you are because you are loved and you are made in the image of the creator judge and he has created you to do the same. And when we come before him in that childlike purity, pure, pure, pure place, and we lay all our stuff before him like a little child, he gives us a word. And Holy Spirit begins to bubble up and to speak. And the next thing you know, your mouth is opening up and you're participating with the creator judge. And you're saying what he told you to say. And you're doing what he showed you to do. And you are literally separating light from darkness. And you're bringing his judgments on earth. And you are silencing the mouth of Satan. And you are shutting them and silencing the madness of those who oppose you. Come on, somebody. It's so simple. And it gets me so excited, I'm just like, hey, hey, daylight come and the devil has to go. Right? Me say hey, me say hey, me say hey, 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 hey. Daylight come and the devil's got to go. Come, Mr. Devil, you think you are so smart? No. My God is bigger and he loves me so. Hey, I say hey, I say hey, I say hey, Come on. Anytime, anywhere, you can come before him like that. The devil's mouth was just shut. Why? I just made that up with the Holy Spirit. We just decided to have fun. I just decided to be a kid instead of putting on a performance. Come on. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Say, sister or brother, you are free. You are free. Say it about myself. Say, I am free. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are free to be who God made you to be. You're free to be just his child. You're free to just enjoy life. And when you do, The rest that comes, it takes the weight off. You know, religion says, oh, you got to get your T's crossed and your I's dotted and show up in your suit with your right shoes and your fancy earrings and you better make sure your hair is done. Go say hi to the pastor, pat him on the back, don't forget to tithe. You know, don't forget your offering, that's really important. And I'm not saying that stuff isn't, you know, walk in love, look good, make the world jealous, right? But it's the glory that makes you look good. You're a glory carrier. Have you ever had anybody say to you, man, there's just something about you. 
I want to get together again. Every time we get together, it just blesses me. That's the creator in you. That's his glory. That's Elohim. That's Holy Spirit. I want to tell you about a throne room story and kind of give an example a little bit of this creator judge experience. We do it all the time here when we're worshiping. We don't realize it, but we can, it doesn't necessarily have to be in song, but I'm going to share what happens when we do it in song just because it's so much more fun. I mean, isn't music fun? Anybody else in the room like to dance? Okay, why aren't you dancing with me? I'm just teasing, no condemnation. But come and have fun, right? Come and have fun. Like, I was over there the day, and all of a sudden, Jackie sang that beloved song. I was like, yeah, he loves me the best. And I'm having my moment. I was like, whatever. Just don't look at everybody. Do your own thing, <laughs> you know, because your flesh wants to get distracted, right? But I was like, no, he's my beloved. I'm just going to have a moment with him. So we're in the throne room last Tuesday, and we've had these experiences before. I think I was telling you, Pastor Patty, um, when you got here about this, it was so beautiful this last Tuesday. Just there was a tangible peace in the room. And we've never really had that. We're learning to wait on God and get comfortable in the silence. So you'll notice even today when we were transitioning, there's no rush. We're okay. We're just God's kids. We're going to be still and let the transition be what it needs to be. And it's okay to have silence. And silence isn't awkward. Because we're not uncomfortable around our Father. And he's not uncomfortable around us. And sometimes it's good to leave a little space for Holy Spirit to speak. You know? We're always... Holding the note until he comes, sometimes we miss the place he actually wants to go. So well done today, ladies. So I want to talk a little bit about, in that particular setting with throne rooms, what the creative process looks like during worship. It's in the waiting. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. And sometimes it's in those quiet moments when we're being still and Brent and I or Lyra and Brent and I or whoever, you know, we'll be sitting up here and we're just waiting. We're kind of looking at each other like, you got something? You got something? We're like, no, no. I said, okay. Let's ask Holy Spirit, then what do you want us to play? Holy Spirit, what do you want? And we just start, sometimes we just start thanking him. Thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for getting us all here on time. Thank you for the Kentucky Fried Chicken we had on the church because we were all starved and we came straight from work, right? And you start simple, and it's really just about relationship. It's sort of like going on a date with someone for the first time, right? You don't show up at the door and go, I love you so much, oh my goodness, big kisses, hugs, let me do all this. You show up and you ding the doorbell. Hi, how are you today? If you're a guy, hopefully, you bring some flowers. Or some chocolate. I brought you a gift. You have conversation about the last time you talked. Gosh, it's so good to see you again. Right? But you don't walk up and start, you know, grab him by the back of the head and be like, big old smoocheroo. That'd be awkward. <laughs> right? You have, you've got the relationship, so you take it easy. You have a conversation. You love on him a little bit. Right? Let's have this, right? I, I, I struggle. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Okay, yeah, we'll go there. I'm just going to say it. So I struggle sometimes when I go into a church and we just go straight from dead silence to high praise. And you can feel like that religious spirit trying to wah, 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 drag you into a place that we have not walked into with Holy Spirit. We're just performing. It drives me crazy. Because Holy Spirit's a person. Father God is our Father. Jesus is our Kingsman Redeemer and our beloved. He's alive. Right? And I, um, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I think sometimes 
We just need to be more sensitive to that reality. How would we want to be treated, right? How would we want to be treated? So we're in the throne room. We're waiting. We're sitting here, and we're getting, uh, Brent gets this word about breath. We're sitting here. We've been singing, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes maybe, and it's really just slow about how much we love God and thank you for loving us. And we're just having this mellow sing-song, playing the guitar conversation with him. And I'm thinking, well, Lord, is this not going to go anywhere? Holy Spirit, what are we doing? Like, that's okay. And we're just putting our heart out there before the Lord. Okay? And all of a sudden, Brent gets this word about breath, and he starts singing about the breath of God. The tangible presence of Holy Spirit came, and my lungs opened up in this back part here in a way that they haven't been opened since 1995. And I looked at him, and I said, I can breathe back here, and I haven't been able to take a deep breath like that in a long time. And Brent said, my left lung, my left lung, my left lung feels better now. Some of you don't know this, but Brent was in the hospital with COVID and then had had been having some lung issues really for years. And he's like, my left lung, it was like God was healing him in that moment. And he said, I can breathe better than I've ever been able to breathe. And I was like, okay, we took time to love on Holy Spirit, to honor Holy Spirit, to let Holy Spirit choose when he wanted to move and to just simply obey and be in that place of waiting and rest. And he showed up mightily. So he gets that word about breath. My lungs get filled up. His lungs get filled up. And God gives me a word about the justice issue. I can't breathe. So I open my mouth and I say what God tells me to say and decree and prophesy healing over the people. And Brent's looking at me real funny, like with the stink eye. And I'm like thinking, okay, what did I do wrong, right? Well, I lean over and I say, Brent, like, what's going on? I said, why are you looking at me like that? Is everything okay? He goes, I heard another voice over top of your voice when you were decreeing that word. It was audible. I've never heard the audible voice of God. It was audible, Stephanie. I heard you speaking, but there was another voice speaking over top of you. And I was like, whoa, God's really here tonight. I was like, meh. Okay, so when I get excited in the Lord, I get slap happy and silly. So I do things like meh. Okay, that's my nerdy me. So I look at him. I'm starting to get the giggles. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yes. I'm like, did you feel that we were breathing? Now you just heard the audible voice of God, and here comes the kid. I'm like, bah! I'm laughing. Brent's laughing. Matt's looking at us like, what are you two talking about up there? So I say to Brent, I say, Brent, you got to say something in the microphone. Testify. Tell everybody what's happening. So he did. And then everybody just starts laughing like, whoa, right? Because there's nothing more glorious than when the creator shows up, when God himself shows up in the room. So then we got this whole prophetic song singing over the prodigals. How many got some people that are coming back to the Lord? Come on. Somebody you're praying for, right? And God just sings this beautiful song because the lost are always on his heart, right? He sings this beautiful song about bringing them home. And at the end of the song, I start I have an, like a TV screen in my mind, okay? I see this little movie play out. And it looks like a log cabin room. I can still see it vividly right now. And there's a bed in the room. And the prodigal child had come home and father was hugging them. But they were doing that cry. Have you ever seen someone cry when they're like, <laughs> right? And they're like, can't catch their breath <laughs> like that. They're so upset about something. And they were catching their breath like that. And father just held them real tight. And then they finally at the end, <sighs> and they calmed down. They stopped doing that. And it was like, okay. And he took them over and put them in the bed. And they laid down on their left side. And he pulled the covers up over their shoulder and kissed them, pulled their hair back like this, and gave them a kiss right here on their temple. 
And then he walked away, and there was this uh, wooden rocking chair in the corner. And I saw him sit down, and I don't know what kind of instrument it was. The only thing I can compare it to is it looked like a, kind of like a mandolin. It was small like that, but it was some other, you know, Middle Eastern thing. I don't know what it was. And I see him start playing it real slow, and Brent's playing the most beautiful tune on the guitar. And then he releases a sound over the prodigals, and the words were this. I love you forever. I like you for always. As long as you're living, your father I'll be. I just started to cry, like, you're so good. And he sang it over and over and over again, and you could see the child finally fall asleep. And then I looked over at Brett because there was a tangible piece. I don't know how to explain it except to say it was almost like I was in a tank of water and then the water got emptied and there was a rest in the room. And I told Pastor Patty today, I think I got an impartation because there was such a confidence and a grace and a rest that came on me. And I don't know if any of you that were there experienced that too, but I felt different leaving that day. And the song went on, and he basically just kept singing over the child, sweet, sweet child, don't worry about a thing. Remember that I am here. I'm standing over thee. And it was like he was saying to the child, you don't have to worry about nothing else going on. I'm, I'm sitting here, and I'm singing over you, and I'm watching over you. You're safe with me. It was so beautiful. And I knew in my heart that the child was just going through a time, a season, and they were healing, and he was saying, it's okay to rest. But a spirit of rest came in the room, and I had so much peace. So much peace. And in that situation and in that moment, God was being creator judge through both of us. He bought the creative sounds of the instrument and the guitar that Brent was supposed to play that set the music where it needed to be. He brought the creative lyrics through me that needed to be sung. And when the words were released, a judgment came forth. He brought breath to my lungs and healed my body and healed Brent. He brought healing to all those prodigals, whoever those people are out there, and was ministering to them when we released that song and that sound. And then I got a literal impartation of peace. I don't know how to explain it except to say I walked out feeling taller, not smaller, and calm, not concerned, and confident, not intimidated. And it was like I knew, Daddy's got me. He's watching, he sees, and he's singing over me. And this matter and these things that are coming at me, they don't even matter because it is finished. So let's go back to Psalm 8. You have built a stronghold by the songs of babies. Out of that childlike praise, he built a stronghold around the prodigals, around those of people struggling with breathing, around the justice issue of those who are saying, I can't breathe. He was building a stronghold in the spirit around them and healing them. This kind of praise has the power to shut Satan's mouth. He was shutting the lies down. The people were believing that I was believing. He was shutting the lie down of not being healed, right? And he was silencing the madness of the enemy who opposes us. It goes on in verse 3 and says, Look at the splendor of your skies. 
your creative genius glowing in the heavens when I gaze at your moon and your stars mounted like jewels in their settings. Come on, somebody. When I gaze at your moon and your stars mounted like jewels in their settings, I know you are the fascinating artist who created them all. Creative genius. But when I look up and I see such wonder and workmanship above, I have to ask you this question. And we do this sometimes, right? Compared to all this cosmic glory, I'm overwhelmed by your goodness. I'm overwhelmed by your creative genius. I'm overwhelmed by the beautiful things I see all around me in the universe, in the world, in the earth, and the people that surround me. Why would you bother with puny mortal man or be infatuated with Adam's son? Mm-mm-mm. You ever felt that way? Lord, I see this is amazing. That's amazing. This person around me is amazing. All these things you've done here and there and in the world and everywhere are absolutely amazing. Why do you bother with me? And yet what honor, it goes on to say, you give, you've given to men. And they are created only a little lower than Elohim. Turn to your brother, sister, your right line and say, guess what? You are created a little lower than Elohim. What? What did Elohim do? Come on, somebody. 125 galaxies. What? That's pretty awesome. I mean, and we just had one little taste of it in throne room the other day, singing, playing, having fun with daddy. Somebody's lungs are getting healed, right? The peace shows up. Come on. You can't make that stuff up. You are created a little lower than Elohim, the creator judge. Mm-mm-mm. And it goes on and says, crowned like kings and queens with glory and magnificence. He has crowned you with his glory and his grace. You have delegated to the mastery over all you have made, making everything subservient to their authority. That's why it's so important we have control of our mouth. Life and death literally are in the tongue. Because you're made in the image of creator, judge, because you're made in the image of Elohim, it's so important that we just guard what we say because we're literally creating and judging and separating and seeding, if you will, putting seeds in, in, out in the world with our words. What an honor. Some of the most difficult circumstances we're going through, literally, just ask Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? How can I partner with you, Father God, as Elohim, as creator, judge, to say what you want me to say and bring separation, bring a distinguishing, bringing, bring a partition or a setting apart so that your glory can be known, so that you can come and have your way and the victory can be seen and made manifest because it will come. It will come. It may be a winter season right now where those seeds and it says that the rain and the snow fall to the earth and do not return to God without accomplishing the purpose for which they were sent. So is every word that's spoken. It does not return void. 
So if you get a rhema word spoken from the Lord to you to say about your situation, it will not return void. It may be winter, and that snow may be sitting on the ground right now. But when the season shifts and the sun heats it up, the Son of God heats it up, all those dormant words are going to be drank up by that ground, and it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. God will have his way. Every prayer you've prayed, every song you've sang, every decree you've made, it's not for naught. It is still there. It is still a, the life is in the seed. The life is in the song. The life is in the decree. And it is not dead. I feel like Father God wants me to tell you it is not dead. And he is not finished with it. Everything that's needed was in that thing he had you release, that thing he had you say, that thing he had you pray. And it shall come to pass, just as he said, for God is not a man that he should lie. And if he told you to say it and he told you to pray it, the very power to accomplish it was in the word he gave you. And the moment you released it, it's just a matter of time. And don't stand around watching the clock tick. Go on and enjoy your life. Start celebrating. Thank you, Jesus. That I have my answer prayer. I praise you, Father. I remember when I was praying for my mom, 10 years, Lord. Ten years I prayed for my mom to be saved. And finally, I'm in prayer one day. I'm in tongues. I'm praying in tongues. And it sounded like I was praying in Aramaic. And the Lord said, thank me for her salvation. I was like, what? Thank me for her salvation. She was not saved. I said, Lord, I thank you for mom's salvation. She called me within not very long, a month or two, and told me she was sitting at the kitchen table and there was a thunderstorm. And my mom is afraid of thunderstorms. So don't get discouraged when circumstances look bad. Sometimes God will send something that will put the fear of God in them to bring them back to him, okay? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But she was in the middle of a thunderstorm, and she was afraid, and she started reading her Bible. And it was about um, when Peter stepped out of the boat. And she said there was a big storm, and God was talking to her about, oh, my gosh, she could have got electrocuted. Like, this is a big deal for her. She's got this issue with thunder and lightning. <laughs> And she said, but Peter got out of the boat, and she said it was like for the first time the word of God jumped off the page, and I knew he was speaking to me. And she got saved, and she started reading her Bible every day, and I knew. She said, and in that moment, I believed, she told me, and I just wept. And then she called me up not too much longer and says, Stephanie, I was reading the Bible today, and I have to get baptized today. She heard a word from the Lord. And she didn't want to wait till Sunday. She didn't want to wait till the quarterly baptism. She said, I have to get baptized today. I said, well, come over, Mom. We can do it in my tub. Would you please do it? I said, yeah, come on. I put my little music on. We baptized her in the tub. Greatest honor of my life, baptizing my mother. Ten years, though. I was like, today, Junior. Right? We don't get to determine the times and the seasons. God is a gentleman, and he is good, and he is loving, and he would rather it take a long time and the person truly surrender their life to him, truly have an encounter in a moment than try to come in and pretend and play church. He wants it to be authentic. He wants it to be real. And just because it takes time doesn't mean there's something wrong. There's different kinds of ground. Okay? A uh, long time ago, Father was showing me that some people are hard ground, like he says, that's beat down. It's been beat down by people stepping on them their whole lives. And it takes longer. You throw the seed on there, it just gets ate up by the birds. Well, why doesn't it work, Lord? Why doesn't it work, Lord? Why doesn't it work, Lord? Because they've been stepped on their whole lives, and it's hard for them to imagine that someone could actually love them the way that God says he loves them. But that doesn't mean you quit throwing the seed, but it does mean you ask God to plow that ground up. Come on, somebody. You ask God to put some oxes in their life that are going to 
rough it up a little bit and make it more susceptible to receiving the seed. There's some people who got big rocks in their life, right? Boulders, bad traumatic circumstances that happen and it's really hard for them to trust God because they got this memory or these things that happen and they're going, oh, right? God gave me a picture of my mom's heart one time when I was praying for her and I saw this huge rock and this whole stalk of corn that had been sown, okay? So it had uh, like hundreds of seeds on it. But it was stuck in between these two rocks in her heart. I don't know what those rocks are, but I, I prayed and I said, Lord, remove the boulders that are hindering her heart from receiving the seed of your word. And I believe that's what he did when she had that moment. And that wasn't in my timing. You know, what's interesting, not only was that storm going on, but she was going through a very difficult circumstances with some family members coming against her and betraying her. People that she'd loved, sown into, served, made some really vehement vile, slanderous, libel, frankly, accusations against her in this business. And she was just at her wit's end. She didn't know what to do. And it was in that moment, against that dark backdrop of emptiness and void, she got a true picture of the fact that she was empty and void without him, and she called on his name. And Holy Spirit was right there, causing her heart to beat, making her blood flow, helping all those red blood cells to be recreated every 120 days. And when she called, he was there. Here I am. Here I am, daughter. Yes. Here I am. Welcome to the family. The psalm goes on and it says, you have delegated to the mastery over all you have made, making everything subservient to their authority, placing earth itself under the feet of your image bearers. Whoa, what? You remember in Genesis when he said to take dominion, multiply and take dominion, right? Because we're made in the image of God and he's a creator judge and we're made in his image and once we're saved, even before we're saved, do you ever met someone that goes, oh, I feel so sick, I feel so sick, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I feel so sick. Next thing you know, they're sick, they're sick all the time. Because even those of us that aren't saved, we're still made in the image of God and we're creating. We're creating with our mouth, with our words all the time. Listen to what you say. Ask Holy, say, Holy Spirit, help me hear myself. I give you permission to show me any words or anything I am saying that is contrary to your perfect will for my life. And I ask you to teach me to speak light, to speak life, to speak truth, to create with you your kingdom and to judge appropriately. In Jesus' name. Now you watch. Over the next months, you're going to hear things that you're saying that you just kind of said your whole life, and it's no big deal, right? But Holy Spirit's going to show you some stuff, and you're going to go, whoa, that came in my ear a different way today. <laughs> and don't be condemned. Turn to your neighbor. Say, no condemnation. Say, you're free. You're forgiven. Okay? But Holy Spirit's shown it to you because he wants to change it. So when you hear it this week, when you hear it this next month, and you're going, whoa, okay, whoa. I never heard that before, just say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say instead? Okay, you just ask him, what do you want me to say instead? And then you say that opposite thing, whatever he tells you, right then. And just practice saying that instead every time you want to say the other. Because we get in habits of doing and saying certain things. Like we joke, the younger generation, oh, you're killing me, Smalls, because of that movie, right? You ever seen that Smalls from the baseball movie, right? 
And it's one of my favorite scenes. When he, the guy comes out there with a hat and he can't catch the ball and the, guy, the, the cute little red-headed chubby kid goes, you're killing me, Smalls. The Lord started to convict me about that. I got to stop saying that. Nobody's killing me. I'm full of life. I promised my daughter I'd live to be 120 years old. The Lord says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. St. Patrick gave up his spirit to be with the Lord. I'm not going anywhere until the Lord's done with me. Nobody's killing me. I take those words back. So just, we're, let's do this too. Say, yeah. Say, I take back every word that does not align with God's will for me. And I cage it in a, I say, let it be caged in a cage with a lock without a key and sent before the throne of the true Jesus to immediately be judged by fire. Father, let it be burned up. I don't know if you know who Patty Amstead is, but she talks about the trading floors, okay? Sometimes the reason the enemy has right to our life is because there's something we have said, and he has a legal right to come in to bring it to pass. Do you remember what happened in the book of Job? What did he say? That which I feared came upon me. I said a thing. I put a seed out there, and I didn't take it back. But guess what? You don't have to worry about your seeds. You know why? Because you just took them all back. Woo! <laughs> I'm just saying. You just took them all back. You put them out there, and you have authority to take them back, and you just took them all back. They have no power. The enemy has no room. So if I've had a real bad week or I've had a real bad day, sometimes I spend that next day going, okay, I take them all back from the bank of Satan. So he cannot use them against me. Thank you, Father, that you are good. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that your blood is enough and it cleanses me, even of a guilty conscience. Amen? Isn't that good? All right, it goes on and it says in verse 7 and 8, All the created order in every living thing of the earth, sky and sea, the wildest beasts and all the sea creatures, everything, is in submission to Adam's sons. You ever hear people say, man, this world's a mess. I don't even know if God exists because this world's such a mess. Everything in this world is in submission to Adam's son. The world is merely a reflection of the redemption of the sons of Adam. And the health of the church and how much we're walking in the fullness of our identity and bringing those things into order and operating like Elohim and beginning to be able to come into a room and everywhere the sole of our foot treads, shift a thing, change a thing, working through our own stuff so that we can say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And then it goes on and says in verse 9, Lord, your name, he ends with your name is so great again. Your name is so great. He's in awe. He's like, oh, my goodness. Childlike praise, functioning in my identity, resting in you, shuts Satan's mouth. It quiets and silences the madness of those who oppose me. You made me just a little lower than you yourself, the creative genius, the judge of heaven and earth of all things. You've made everything subservient to our authority. You've put everything in submission to us. And he says it again, Lord, your name is so great. 
I want to tell you this. God's greatest work is you. You are his creative genius on display. You are set apart and you are separated as a daughter or a son of God for good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. And everywhere he sends you, he has you on mission. You're always on mission 24-7. We don't turn it off. It doesn't even turn off when you sleep because sometimes he's giving you prophetic dreams and assignments. Anybody else? Right? Okay. Yeah. 24. You have been given the very mind of Christ and everything you need for life and godliness to bring God's creative genius, his kingdom, here on earth just as it is in heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming. Keep praying and simply obey because God is good and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.